Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strange Sound, the strangest political podcast ever. Not really. This is actually pretty run-of-the-mill stuff. It's just me bloviating, me, Joe. You've all heard the um, my standard disclaimer, so I'm not going to repeat it. Just that uh, all the opinions expressed on the show are my own. On represent the opinions of no one else, just me, unless I attribute something to someone else. And then, uh, accordingly, that would be their idea, not mine. And I'm just sharing it with you as a convenience, because this is a convenience service, if nothing else. Now, this is just me talking, and here we are in this very strange moment in American history where we're seeing unemployment levels nudging the levels seen in the Great Depression and uh, having arrived at those levels in a very short period of time, unlike the Great Depression, when it took months to reach um, 15% or something close to 15% unemployment. In our case, uh, it took weeks, a couple of weeks. Everything has been shut down and people are really really hurting and this is this is terrible because it's layered on top of the covid crisis which is causing people a lot of pain as well the pain of loss the pain of illness the pain of fear um and those two things in combination are a real gut punch to pretty much every country that's had to deal with this, but particularly the United States, because the United States is experiencing perhaps the worst coronavirus-related crisis um, in the world. I don't think there's any question but that right now the epicenter of this crisis is in the United States. Will it stay that way? We don't know. Um. But part of the reason why it's happening here worse than other places is because of the response. And uh, I have to say, before I before I talk about uh, my topic for episode 10, this is episode 10 of Strange Sound. Um, before I move on with this, uh, I just want to say that uh, people are hurting and... I want to acknowledge that, and I want to encourage anyone listening to this, if anyone is in fact listening to this, to look into how you can help others um, on whatever level may be appropriate for you. I know a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people are furloughed. A lot of people are just plain fired. A lot of people's jobs have been eliminated. Um, this is a really rough time, and I understand that people can't really reach into their pockets so deep uh, these days, um, particularly people on the edge. But those who can, it's a good idea to find some way to help support um, people who are in desperate need right now because they are not being helped by our government. And to the extent possible, we have to sort of stand in for that. To the extent possible, we have to 
um, both push our government to be more responsible, but also to um, provide for help around the edges at least. Those of us who are able to. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. What am I going to talk about today? Well, <laughs> obviously we're we're facing both a pandemic and a depression. Um, and our leadership is poor. Our national leadership is piss poor. We have, as I've said before, a president who is essentially little Lord Fauntleroy. We have a president who is hyper-focused on himself, and he's pretty much only interested in what is good for himself. That is, in fact, his ideology. The President of the United States has an ideology of focus on Donald Trump and what is good for him. Period. That's it. We all know this. Even people who love him know this. This is no secret, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. The trouble is, Whereas previous to this crisis, Trump was more or less sailing along on the the sort of peaked rising tide from the last financial crisis, the slow climb out of that trough that we fell into in 2008, and that we slowly, slowly climbed out of, largely because the response to that was not nearly dramatic enough. We didn't really change very much. We stuck to our Asterian guns. There was a certain amount of stimulus towards the beginning, but after that it was basically watch the deficit, cut spending, and cut back on even the sort of peaked measures that we had taken in the wake of the crisis. Do I blame Obama for that? Yeah, partly. I mean, he is a neoliberal in a lot of respects, and he was focused on deficit reduction just as much as some of the Republican leadership. I will say, though, that they, during a Democratic presidency, are hyper-focused on the, on the deficit. That becomes the most important thing to them. Not anymore, as soon as they get someone in office, as soon as they get a Republican president, it's completely different. And everybody knows that. Just look at spending over the course of various presidencies in the last 30 years. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Don't take it from me. Just look at the spending. I'm not a deficit hawk. I don't believe it's important but I believe it matters what you spend the money on. Now, the thing I wanted to focus on today is the fact that we have a president who's going around saying a number of different things with regard to this crisis. One is we had the greatest economy in the history of the world up until this point. The greatest economy in the history, not only the history of this country, which is what he used to say, 
but in the history of the world. That's one thing. The other thing he's been saying left and right, and uh, this is this may seem unrelated, but it actually is related um, because it has to do with how this how the money is being spent. He's been saying that um, the defense budget is bigger than it's ever been, and that and that it was um, that the defense budget had somehow been starved under Obama, that equipment supplies had been depleted, that the American military was um, was being downsized, that was deprived of the technology that they needed to be effective, um, and that since he became president, since Trump became president. Um, he has completely transformed the military, and now they have, um, they've got brand new equipment, and our great military are marching from victory to victory, and essentially saying that you know prior to his presidency, um, we were flying fifty-year-old planes. Uh, he just said that the other day, actually, on Fox, of course, because that's the only place he ends up, and. Uh, that's laughable. But anyway, um, there we go. So the president, um, of course, blaming blaming his predecessors for everything, but also claiming ridiculously that he has completely transformed the military in some kind of fundamental way and that the economy under him well, it has been performing at a level we've never seen before. These, of course, are both bogus claims, and it doesn't take very much investigation to see um, how bogus they are. During the first three years of the Trump presidency, job growth and G- GDP growth proceeded at more or less the same rate they'd been following throughout the Obama presidency. It's the same process of recovery that was that was under Obama that just continued under Trump, which is to say, um, not a very robust level of growth or level of um, Im- improving fortunes amongst the the working class of the United States. So. The economy that came out of the Great Recession of 2008 and beyond is one that um, involves a whole lot less job security, um, benefits, prosperity for working people. So, in essence, what the recovery has done is actually created a lot of really crappy jobs. There are a lot of people out there working very crappy jobs up until recently, and a lot of them have been thrown out of work. But (laughs) throughout the Obama recovery and into the Trump recovery, the continuing process of recovery, a lot of the jobs gained have been, you know, kind of crappy jobs. Now, if you have a crappy job, that you know maybe employs you 30 hours out of the week at some kind of substandard rate of pay maybe less than what you were making before the recession or maybe you're a new worker you know who's who's who came online after 
the recession. Um, that counts as a job, okay? So when they're counting jobs, <laughs> they're counting your job as more or less equivalent to everyone else's job. So when you're replacing well-paying jobs with crappy jobs, it's still kind of a, like a one-to-one relationship between the count you know, before the recession and the count after the recession. A job is a job is a job, according to them. Now, all administrations use these these measures as a way of making themselves look better. So, you know, a job is calculated as, you know, a gain, right? Um, you could have two crappy jobs, and they probably count that as two. But to say that this is like the best economy we've ever had, or even, you know, even beyond that, the best economy in the history of the world is ridiculous. Nothing could be farther from the truth. There's no security. Household debt is high. Trump is fond of saying that um, African-American employment um, under his first three years um, has never been higher. Um, Latinx employment has never been higher. Um, You know what? That's a pretty low bar. People have no security. People had no security going into this latest crisis. And this crisis has affected those people on the bottom, in the bottom tiers of the economy, more, far more dramatically than, than folks who have like office jobs. I mean, it's affected them too because it's large enough. But the folks that are on the lower decks of this ship they're seriously underwater right now. Thrown out of a job. If you're in the informal economy, you've got basically no one is throwing you a rope. And that's because people are vulnerable. They started out vulnerable. And when this thing hit, it it kicked them in the teeth. This economy over the last few years, prior to the crisis, the American economy does not compare with the post-war economy, the level of growth, the level of shared prosperity, even though it was mostly shared by white people. The level of shared prosperity was greater. The level of wage growth was greater. The middle class was built in the years after World War II and up into the 1960s, before the, the neoliberal period sort of kicked in in the 1970s. This period that uh, Trump is crowing about doesn't even begin to compare with that. I don't care what they say about unemployment figures. Maybe unemployment has never been as low as that. But it's meaningless. Because they consider you employed if you have a crappy job that doesn't pay a living wage. So that's one measure. By that one measure... He can make some kind of wild claim about how it's the greatest economy in the history of the world. And again, you can compare the growth of the American economy since, um, well, say since 2016 with the growth of like China's economy over, over a comparable period. I'd say that growth, the, the growth of the Chinese economy was, was greater. Just 
by sheer, you know, percentage of GDP growth. I mean, pick your measure. Anyway, bogus claim number one. Never gets pushed back on, by the way. He just says this stuff, and does anyone challenge it? Not really. Not particularly. Then defense spending. Has he increased defense spending? Sure. At about the same rate, defense spending has been increasing since practically time immemorial. It increased throughout the Obama administration. It continued to increase about the same rate through the Trump administration. If you combine all of the defense-related spending, we're up to something like $935 billion, if you count everything. That includes really just over $700 billion for fiscal year 2020. 2021 is, is a bit higher than that, but not much higher. And then there are base costs. I mean, that includes the defense budget, which budgeted for 2021 is is $636.4 billion, plus the overseas um, contingency um, costs, which are around $70 billion. Now that compares with last year or the previous year, which is, you know, it's an... It's an increase of maybe, I'm going to say 5%. Every year they kind of like raise it 5 or 6%. In the mid-2010s, it was a little bit more stable. Somewhere around the, the 500 billion mark. Then it up to five, 521 in, or 522 in 2016. A little bit more than that in 2017. Then up to 574 in 2018. But again, we're talking about a budget in excess of 500 to 600 billion dollars a year plus overages. What used to be um, presented as a supplemental appropriation now is kind of rolled into the the main um, military budget to the tune of 60 or 70, 70 billion dollars in additional spending. Either way, it's a ridiculous amount of money. And I have to say, um, if we're protecting ourselves with that money, I'm not sure what we're protecting ourselves from. Trump keeps talking about new airplanes, um, new jets, new fighters. Um, that's great. Can any of them fight a virus? This is ridiculous. The degree to which we're spending money on defense against something that they can't even define. What are we defending ourselves from? Trump always places it in the context of like intimidating people and keeping them from even thinking about attacking us. But we've always spent way more than the rest of the world combined. At least in in terms of like the last probably 50 years and longer. So I, I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, the defense budget is essentially Keynesianism. It's essentially economic stimulus. 
It's essentially pumping money into key congressional districts, into key industries. It's subsidy. That's what it's all about. It's basically pork barrel spending. Because it doesn't keep us safe. All it does is support high-tech industry, aviation, shipbuilding, and, you know, the, the entire economy um, that surrounds bases all around the world, including in the United States, which is a large economic driver. It's got a broad base of political support because this is money that goes directly to congressional districts. But, I mean, what he's bragging about is the same process of yearly incremental budgetary increases that we've seen for decades. It just keeps going on and on and on. And you have to remember, too, in the mid-20-teens, thanks to the action of the Republican Congress, and, you know, to a certain extent, Obama's um, basically accommodation of that. We were under the budgetary control of what was called the sequester. So there were mandatory reductions in spending across the board on what was essentially discretional, a discretionary basis. But these were um, controls put on the increases in the military budget over the course of those years. So that's why the incremental changes, you know, from 2012 to 2013 to 2014 are relatively small because the sequester was constraining their ability to increase the military budget. And the very same people that implemented that policy, the sequester, basically the Republican leadership in Congress at that time, were the same people whining about, you know, the defense budget. But even with the sequester, we're talking about an enormous amount of money that's being spent on on the defense budget. Defending us from what? Really what they need to do is take a chunk of that and put that into pandemic response and anticipation of the kind of crisis that we have right now. What is a greater threat than this? What is a greater threat than this? And on that score, Trump defunded our ability to respond to a pandemic. He disbanded the pandemic response team in the National Security Council. On Bolton's recommendation, so again, this isn't just Trump. Trump didn't wake up in the middle of the night and say, oh, we need to get rid of that pandemic response team. Now, that was handed to him, and he said, okay. Because, again, he knows nothing. But notionally, I'm sure he agreed with the idea of just getting rid of all these scientists who were standing around doing nothing, because he's a businessman, right? He's a businessman. He wants to run lean. He doesn't want a bunch of people standing around with nothing to do. Well, apparently they had something to do. It was preventing the thing that's happening to us right now. Will Trump take the blame for this? I mean, he won't accept the blame for it, but will Trump take the blame 
for this Great Depression level of economic hardship and for this pandemic. Is it his fault? I would argue that it is, but even if even if you make the counter-argument, nah, it wasn't because of him. It's just the thing that happened. Well, look what happened in the 1920s. Was the Great Depression that hit in 1929, towards the end of the year, was that Herbert Hoover's fault? Hoover had only been president since earlier that year. Was it his fault? Doesn't matter. Does it? Because the thing that that hung around Hoover's neck for the rest of his term was his response to it. Hoover's response to it, to the Great Depression, was not to spend too much. And again, Hoover was not an imbecile. Hoover was a very accomplished, very intelligent person. Very worldly, but hidebound. Couldn't think outside the box, in essence. What we have now is a president who while not exactly hidebound, still you know, has a very limited imagination because he's so self-involved. So he's not constrained by the usual ideological boundaries, right? That's how you would explain something like his relationship with Kim Jong-un, his willingness to sort of open up to North Korea, for which he deserves some credit. But it's the follow-through right? That doesn't matter that much because he's unable to follow it with some kind of coherent policy that would lock in the gains that he could have gotten from detente with North Korea and creating a space for North Korea and South Korea to more or less bury the hatchet, which is what they want to do, at least what South Korea wants to do, because they have good leadership right now. Trump can think outside of the box a little bit, but only as far as the limits of the slightly larger box that his uh, <laughs> his box is contained within. It's kind of like a nesting doll. You know, he, he has a very limited imagination and, frankly, very limited intelligence. And that space is filled by others. He's, he's surrounded by authoritarians, but he's also surrounded by austerians. And people who are going to, you know, get him to cut in places where he shouldn't be cutting and get him to act in ways that will more or less satisfy his ego. We've got a huge problem with this president. We're facing the most serious economic and health care crisis that we've faced in any of our lifetimes. And... We've got a president who is not up to the challenge and is just telling us lies and is a conduit for the worst policies imaginable. And that's about all I have to say about it right now. Ah, don't get me started.
Well, thanks for listening again. This was a uh, strange sound, a little bit more bloviation, a one-sided conversation thus far. I'm waiting for someone else to chime in. Tell me I'm wrong. Argue with me. Push back. Or agree with me. Whatever you like. Leave a voicemail at anchor.fm slash strangesound. Interact with me on Twitter at strangesoundpod. If you go to the anchor.fm slash strangesound page, there will be links there for all of our social media accounts. And like I said, you can leave a voicemail right on that site. So do. I'll play it on the air. Um, look forward to having a conversation with whoever's listening to this. Until then, take care out there. These are rough times. Try to keep a thought for the most vulnerable out there. Um, and do what you can. Stay safe, be well, and we'll see you next time.